to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. We are concluding this week our study on the book of Ruth. We've been talking about lessons from the book of Ruth on trust, surrender, healing, how we can have hope in those places where we're literally at the end of what we can do and we don't know how God's going to come through for us. We don't know really what to do in our situation. It's been hard for a really long time and it just keeps on getting worse and what we can do in those places. And I want to conclude our study by focusing on someone we haven't talked about much in the study and that is Naomi. We have looked into the actions of Ruth and Boaz and really analyzed their actions in detail, but I want to close by looking at the transformation of Naomi throughout the book of Ruth. She begins, we see her at the very beginning of Ruth in chapter one as someone who is broken by life circumstances, who describes herself as bitter. And then we see at the end in chapter four as this joyful woman who her fortunes have been restored. She has a beautiful grandson in her arms and she is a different person than what we see at the very beginning of Ruth. And what I want to talk about in particular with Naomi is that her journey, her transformation, how she gets there, but particularly look at how she doesn't take shortcuts in her journey, that she goes the long route. One of the things that we've talked about repeatedly, almost to the point that you could say, wow, Carol, you've really, really, uh, brought this point to the forefront, maybe even beat this point over and over, like, you know, beating a dead horse or something. Um, but one of the things I've said over and over is this idea that God's path is the harder path. It is not the path we often would choose. It is not the path we want to go down a lot of times, but it's always going to be the best, best path. But a lot of times when we're going that way, that it can be so tempting in those places to a not even take the path because it doesn't look appealing and another path looks more appealing to us or b when we're on the path that God points to us when the journey is going for a really long time we don't see the results that we're wanting we don't see any change happening in our environment there can be a temptation to try to take an easy route to circumvent around hard assignments God gives us or hard obstacles in our path and try to just completely route our way around them. And one of the things Naomi shows us throughout Ruth is that there is really no way to circumvent around the assignments God gives us, that there is one way to his promises and that's his way and that shortcuts are not in the equation. Shortcuts in our actual daily life can be a really good thing. Um, as I was putting this together, I was thinking of a game that my kids like to play. And it's, I have elementary age kids. So my oldest is 11. I have an eight year old and a three year old and the eight and 11 year old, I play this with them, but it's Charlie Brown Christmas. And in this game, there's this long looping path and I'm tired. Is looping even a word? I'm thinking. But anyway, there's this long winding path to the finish line. And you have these little characters 
Charlie Brown and Linus and these other characters from Charlie Brown. And the goal, of course, is to get to the finish line. So each square that you land on, you there are different instructions. Sometimes you have to pick a card and there will be different things you have to do, like go forward three spaces or back two spaces or trade places with another player. There are these instructions, but the best square to land on are these, what are called, it's a Christmas game. So these North Pole, what they call these North Pole slides. And there are these slides that literally will take you, fast track you from one section of the path to a section way ahead that maybe 10 spaces ahead there that is so much further than you could have gone if you simply rolled the dice. And it's awesome to get on these squares because you can get way ahead in the game. And so in this game, it's a really good thing to 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 get on these and in regular life as well. I love it when I can figure out an easier way to do something. When I'm cooking dinner and I can make a recipe, the same recipe that takes six hours, I can figure out a way to cut down on the prep time and I could fix it in 30 minutes or something. So I love to find easy ways to do things. Or if I'm driving somewhere, I love to go the fastest route or just an easier way to do maybe what a, a helping kids with a math problem with their homework. If I can find an, an easy set of steps for them to do that, that is a lot easier than maybe the 10 instructions they've been working with that are totally confusing them. So shortcuts can be a really good thing. But when shortcuts, when it comes to our spiritual life, shortcuts that are trying to get out of what God would have us to do or are deviating from the guidelines he's given us in his word in an attempt to get to a desired result, of course those things aren't good. And cutting corners to arrive at an intended goal is is not only wrong, but can really hinder our growth, can really actually delay our journey and send us backwards rather than forwards. So I want to look at Naomi in Ruth 4. As I've mentioned, at the end of Ruth 4, Ruth and Boaz, they've been married. Naomi, as the mother-in-law, is suddenly the joyful grandmother of a little baby boy, Obed, which Ruth and Boaz have a son. And this is what the women in town say to Naomi when Obed is born. They say, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. This is verse 14 of chapter four. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given his birth, has given him birth. So here's this woman who has suddenly has suddenly been provided for. She no longer is eking out an existence as this impoverished widow. She's been brought into the provision of Boaz because Ruth has married Boaz and now her job is to care for this grandson and she hasn't had any grandchildren up to this point. So her stress and eking out an existence as a widow, those days are over. And she also has something to look forward to. This little baby boy, she's helping to watch him. So how did she move into what God intended to for her with, while taking the longer route of God's will? And what can we learn from Naomi about moving from a place of bitterness? Because she describes herself as, 
in a different way at the beginning of the story to a place of fullness without compromising and taking shortcuts. So the first point I want to bring about is number one, we should walk in God's way despite our feelings. Now, this is a point that I've brought about in this study before in talking about other characters or other people in this story, but I want to bring it to the forefront also with Naomi. If we go back to Ruth 1, on the heels of the tragic death of her sons, Naomi reveals that she believes that the Lord's hand has turned against her. And she says this, don't call me Naomi. She, she tells the people in the town, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. So basically she says that her name that she should be called is Mara, which means bitter, rather than Naomi, which means pleasant, because her sons have died. Her husband has died before that. She has nothing left. She is coming back to her homeland extremely empty while she left with a family, with more than she has at the moment, she's coming back with really nothing to show. And in this passage, we see a woman, a woman who does not like her situation. She doesn't like what has happened to her. And she is saying basically that the Lord has afflicted her. But even though she believes the Lord has afflicted her, she does not turn away from God. While she may have found every excuse not to return back to God, Naomi decides that she has no other place to go and accepts that God's, you know, accepts God's hand in her affliction. Similarly, we will have times when we don't like what is happening in our lives, or we will struggle to trust what God tells us. And yet, even in those times, we can, like Naomi, trust him anyway, instead of taking the easier way out. Even though she's saying all these things about how she's bitter, she's still in Bethlehem when she's saying these things. Like she has turned her face towards home. She is walking towards the place where her family left. And one of the things we talked about earlier in the study was that most likely when we look at the actions of her family, and we don't really know how much say Naomi really had in going to Moab, but but God had given the Jewish people the land of Israel for them to possess and for them to dwell there. And when there was a famine, Naomi's husband, they attempted to escape that famine that the Lord brought because he was basically disciplining the the people in, um, in Bethlehem for their rebellion. And they attempted to escape that by going to Moab and Moab was a place that the Moabites were enemies of the Jews. And so to go there would have been really an odd thing. And really, if we look at it, most likely they were just going against God's will. So, because of that, most likely what happened is because they went against that. And so she's coming out of a place of not having anything left. And yet she's still turning back to God, even though she feels that most likely she's being disciplined for the choices that her, she has made or her family has made. 
I want to bring about another example of someone who trusted God in really hard circumstances that were not desirable at all. His circumstances were different. And I want to talk about Ezekiel. I'm actually currently doing a study of Ezekiel, but it really stood out to me in some of the passages I read this week. Ezekiel was not in challenging circumstances because he was being disciplined or because he had done anything wrong. He was in challenging situations because of his calling that he was originally a priest, but then God called him to be a prophet to the nation of Israel. And this is a different time in history than the the story of Ruth. But up to that point, Ezekiel had served as a priest and his life was going pretty along pretty nicely, we might say. And then God asked him to do some really strange actions and serve as this living representation of the message he wanted to give the Israelites, which was a very difficult message. And God even told Ezekiel that the people would not listen, but he wanted Ezekiel to give the message anyway. And in response to God's instructions, this is what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 13, 14 and 15. He says, the spirit then lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord on me. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kabar river. And there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, deeply distressed. So Ezekiel in this passage, different scholars say different things. Some of them say, oh, he was distressed because of the content of the message, or he was distressed because of the sin of the people. Well, those are possible. But when I read this passage, what I see is that he was distressed because of the weight of the assignment he had been given and the fact that he knew that it was not going to be well received. And I believe he was just completely horrified that he was given such an assignment and that he was put in such a position and that God would pick him to do it. I mean, you can almost just read between the lines and hear him saying something along the lines of really God, why are you sending me to say this? Do you care about me? Are you trying to ruin my life? I think there are those moments when either because a situation comes in our life that we did not expect that shocks us, God, how could you allow this? Or God just throws an assignment in our lap that just completely throws us for a loop. We're going along fine for a while. And then all of a sudden, bam, it's like he changes the tune. And all of a sudden he just puts something in our in our path that we just did not expect. And when we're in those moments, we can want an, a shortcut and say, you know what, can I just, can I just scoot around this? Can I just not do this? Even though Ezekiel and Naomi's situations were different, Ezekiel did not um, enter into affliction because he was being disciplined or anything of that nature. Even though their situations were different, what we can see in looking at them is they both followed God even when they were in situations that they would not have chosen for themselves. And again, they looked very different. We might even say Naomi was in the situation she was in because of what her family of some of the choices her family had made. We don't know for sure, but even if so, she returned to God and in following God in turning back to him, that she was showing herself to be obedient and both Ezekiel and Naomi both weren't thrilled about their situations 
but they decided to still do the right thing. Bob Deffenbaugh says this in his analysis of, of Ruth. He says this, doing what is right in God's eyes requires faith for we often cannot see how doing the right thing will produce what God has promised. John Piper says it another way. If we would learn to learn to wait and trust in God, all our complaints against God would prove untrue. So neither one of these individuals knew how their situations would turn out, but chose what was right. Ezekiel went and he gave the message that he really did not want to give. Naomi turned towards her home, even though she was bitter, even though she didn't understand maybe everything that had happened, even though she was sad and her life was shattered. She turned towards Judah. She went home. She followed God's will. And so both of them kind of show us how to do the right thing, even when they were not sure how doing the right thing was going to benefit them. And one of the things I was thinking about when I was putting together this was our pastor, his his um, dad died, I, I don't know how long ago, but died in a tubing accident. He was in a tube in a river going down and somehow got stuck in the rapids underneath the water and died. And it was a very, you can imagine, just shocking tragedy for our pastor. And of course, just like is is normal after a tragedy like this, he wrestled through anger and of course had some anger towards God during this time. Well, you know, after the funeral and the arrangements and he took a little time off, he had to go back to being a pastor. And so he was doing messages in week in and week out, even though he was wrestling through some of his own personal questions with God about why his dad was taken when he was and why he died the way he did. And so I just think about how faithful that he kept on showing up, kept on giving messages to people, kept on serving, even though he didn't fully understand some things going on in his own life and even was angry in some ways and was wrestling through some of that with God. And so I think all of that just to say that following God doesn't mean we're always going to be so thrilled about where he's leading us. In fact, we may just be really ticked like, God, why are you taking me here? I don't even like it here. And yet we can still follow along and say, okay, I may not like it. I may not understand it. I may have questions, but I'm still going to go this way because I trust you. The second point I want to bring about, instead of allowing our bitterness to make us turn inward, we keep showing up for God's purposes. When we feel angry or resentful about where God has us, it's natural to want to hibernate or take a break from serving others. And certainly we do need to, after a loss of some kind, we do need to take some time to to grieve and maybe just have those moments to ourselves. It's not healthy to just throw ourselves back into the arena without ever taking some time to just process through our emotions. But we find healing when we continue moving forward and keeping others mindset. Naomi was in pain at the beginning of her journey, as we see in the chapter I read, and had gone through a great tragedy, but she continues to look out for others and orchestrates a marriage for her daughter-in-law, saying, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for in Ruth 3. So 
Naomi, even though she's gone through this incredible tragedy, we see that she's concerned about her daughter-in-law. She's concerned about finding her a home. And some very skeptical commentators will say things like, well, Naomi was just trying to provide for herself. But I don't really see that in Naomi. Over and over, I see that she's caring towards her daughter's-in-law daughters-in-law and wants the best for them even in persuading them in chapter one to go back to their homelands she's really trying to look out for them and say hey you're gonna find a very hard life if you stay with me the best thing that can happen for you is just to go home and you'll have a chance of getting married again I mean she's really looking out for them and we see that even in her pain that she's continually looking out for Ruth and she's saying She's asking questions when Ruth comes home from gleaning, and here she's saying, let's get you married so that you will be well provided for. When she reaches out and helps others, the interesting thing is she helps herself. And we see that concept continually in scripture is that when we help others, we in turn ourselves are helped and refreshed. Again, if we go back to chapter four, it tells us with the birth of Obed that she was nourished and sustained by the birth of Obed. The work she had invested in ensuring the welfare of Ruth was that which in turn helped to restore her own soul. And that wasn't her motivation, I don't believe. But we can see that this woman who described herself as empty in the first chapter is somebody now brimming with hope and happiness. And part of that reason was that she didn't simply wallow in where she was and, and only think about her own needs and ref- refuse to help others or shut herself off from others, that she really had an outward focus and really had concern for others. And that in turn helped to heal her herself. Was it just her circumstances that helped to heal her? No, I don't believe so. It was turning to the Lord. It was filling herself with him, walking along that journey with him and a little bit by little bit along the way, I believe that she was healed and it all kind of came full circle when her grandson was born. The third point I want to actually, before I move on to the third point, I do want to say also one example that to just share along this point of helping others. We have within our church, a gentleman on the hospitality team and his name's Robert. And I noticed on my Facebook before Christmas, he posted a, I, I don't know, he posted something about his daughter. He has a daughter, a grown, grown-up daughter with special needs. And right before Christmas, literally a few weeks before Christmas, she, she passed away. And so he posted this picture of her and just a tribute to, to her and her life. And then just some information about her funeral arrangements and things like that. But I remember seeing that and so Christmas Eve, we went, our family went to the Christmas Eve service and I was, I shouldn't have been surprised, but the, one of the first faces I saw when I walked in the church was Robert with a smiling face. He's always greeting people and helping people into the service and things. And there he was, he had just lost his daughter a few weeks before, but there he was. And so after the service, I went up to him and I just told him, that I was sorry to, you know, um, hear about his daughter. And I just said, you know, are you doing okay? And he just said real briefly, he just said something to the effect of serving is what makes me the most happy. Serving makes me, is, is helping 
to, you know, heal me in other words. And so essentially he was saying that he was out there serving on Christmas Eve because it was helping him to, to not dwell on his daughter, to not just, um, to not just park there and, and helping others was getting his mind off of it. And I love the fact that he was there on Christmas Eve. Honestly, I can say on Christmas Eve, the staff, uh, not really the staff, but the volunteer staff, I should say, is a little thin. A lot of people are out of town. A lot of people are spending time with family. So the normal amount of ushers and things that they had was probably cut by, I would say, more than 75%. There were not that many people, as many people as there normally are, serving and ushering and things. And there he was, even though he'd he'd lost his daughter. So he was doing that because it was in turn helping him to feel better. The third point I want to bring about is when tempted to veer from God's path, we should remind ourselves that shortcuts don't lead us to God's promises. I believe that the reason that many of us are even tempted to take shortcuts is because, not because we we want to do the wrong thing or because we don't want to trust God. I believe that we just get desperate and we talk ourselves out of the right thing and we just allow ourselves to be led astray. And we can even use our poor circumstances to justify bad behavior and cut corners to get out of our circumstances and arrive at our intended goal. We can just say, well, this bad thing has happened to me. So what does it matter if I do X, Y, and Z? And we don't see that with Naomi. She doesn't justify any kind of bad behavior just because of what's happened to her. In fact, we see that she is continually on a path of attempting to do what's right when, and she's not perfect. Um, Some of the advice she gives to her daughters-in-law in chapter one, I would say she could have given them better advice and Ruth corrects her and says, I'm going to come with you. But I, what I see with Naomi throughout the book of Ruth is just a move toward God, not away from him. And some scholars say that Naomi gave advice to Ruth to take a shortcut by suggesting to her that she go on the threshing floor, present herself to Boaz, lay at his feet, uncover his feet, all the things that we talked about in a previous podcast episode. But I don't see Naomi's advice in this way at all. From all we see of Boaz and Ruth's conduct, both were concerned about acting honorably in all situations. And Ruth did not do anything appropriate, inappropriate. She lay at his feet. She waited for him to wake up. She presented what she wanted to say, and then he they had this conversation, and then they both went back to sleep, and then she left early in the morning that there was no plan for Ruth to somehow seduce him, or she was given the advice to dress nicely and wear perfume to look her best, but she did not seduce him or act in any way that was inappropriate. Similarly, Boaz was very honorable. He was concerned about her reputation. He did not take advantage of her, though he could have. And I believe Naomi knew when she came up with that plan that both of them would act honorably. So she did 
suggest what she did, knowing that they would both be honorable, even though there was the opportunity in a dark threshing floor there for more to happen than did. But Naomi's actions, she really worked within God's guidelines because Boaz could be their kinsman redeemer because he was a a relative that was well within the law. There was also a custom during a time that servants would lay at the master's feet. So that would have not been completely unusual. And Boaz does go and work within the guidelines of the law by going to speak to the closer male relative. Everything is very much above board. And we see that Naomi doesn't attempt to somehow get Ruth to attract a husband in a way that's dishonorable or extend the family line um, by doing anything dishonorable. As we see, we can look at other parts of scripture where women got so desperate that they did do things that they shouldn't have done because they felt like they had no other choice. And we see that Naomi very much gives advice to Ruth that is very above board and goes within the laws that were given by God for the community. And she very much attempts to go along with those rather than forge a a path apart from his purposes. I want to end by a very encouraging idea that I want to point out to you. Even though Naomi doesn't take shortcuts after she arrives in Judah, I think the most encouraging thing about Naomi that we can look at is that we might say, based on what we observe about her family, is that she did have to recover from a major shortcut that her family attempted to make by going to Moab. So if we're in a place where we're listening to all of this and saying, well, that's great that Naomi did all of these things and never did anything wrong, but I'm in a place where I think I've been taking a shortcut right now and I need to trace my way back. Or maybe you're looking back and you're thinking, wow, I I just made a decision recently that was rash and I forged into it because I was just desperate and wanted to get out of my situation. And I think it was the wrong one. What we see is Naomi, when we start this narrative in chapter one, she's recovering from a shortcut her family made. I mean, I honestly do believe that we could make that case. And yet she turned back to God and she received God's provision and blessing because she turned back. And the same is true of us. If we're in the wrong place at the moment and we need to make a U-turn, it's not too late. If we strayed, we can go back and Satan wants us to believe our mistakes and missteps have derailed us from the plans God's had for us. But we can see with Naomi that we can turn around and go back to God. Um, Sometimes I believe we can make choices and go down the wrong path without even recognizing at first. We just kind of go without really maybe consulting God, or maybe we have maybe a not very good feeling about it, but we're not a hundred percent sure if it's the wrong move for us. Maybe we can't even find a scripture that speaks against it, or maybe it would even be the right choice for someone else in a different situation. Whatever the case, we can, we can turn around. However, when we're on the right path, we can't leap ahead to God's promises without the journey God wants us to take, take us on. Naomi returned to Judah, but she didn't fast track to God's blessings in a day. There was a journey to get to Judah. And once in Judah, 
there wasn't, again, this instant miraculous change of fortune for them until they were there for a little time, scraping by as impoverished widows. But she chose to travel God's way, and as a result, she did get to where she wanted to be, and her fortunes did change. I mentioned my kids' Charlie Brown game at the beginning of this episode. One of the things that I didn't tell you is that the North Pole slides I was talking about where you can fast track ahead several spaces, they also work the other way around, where if you get on the tail end of that slide, you can also slide backwards. The first time we ever played the game, it took us so long to get to the to the end to for someone to get to the finish line that I just thought this game is literally never going to be over because the players literally as players, we were going up the slides and down the slides. And so we were going back and forth, back and forth for what seemed like an eternity before someone finally made it to the finish line. And what a clear picture of what it looks like to try to move ahead when God isn't directing us in that way, or has told us we aren't to take a certain step that essentially shortcuts that we try to take in our spiritual journey, that that essentially is kind of like in the Charlie Brown game where it's just, it may get us ahead for a moment and what feels like maybe arriving at our goal. But if God's not directing us there, eventually it's kind of like the game where it's just going to slide us backwards and get us further from where we truly want to be. Though God can certainly use our missteps in his plan and does. And the thing I love about Naomi's story as well is even though she did, I believe, take a shortcut to Moab with her family, that God worked it into his overall master plan. If she had never gone to Moab and done what she did, then Ruth wouldn't have come back with her, wouldn't have been her daughter-in-law, wouldn't have met Boaz. All of those details in the story started in a place where, honestly, Naomi's family shouldn't have been. And yet God worked those details and he can work even our missteps into his plan. But our journey, if we are taking shortcuts, is going to be prolonged. And often there are consequences that we can't foresee that even if God does work our choices into his plan, even as he does do that, there are sometimes those consequences that Honestly, we can just do without if we just go ahead and stick to his plan. So when we follow after God and go where he leads, what feels like the longer way will get us to where we need to go much faster than if we try to route around the difficult assignments he gives us and go an easier way. So this is just an encouragement to all of us to go the harder way, to not try to take the shortcuts, to not try to route around the difficult assignments. There is no route around it. It's straight through it. And it will get us to where God intends for us to be and where he's desires for us to be. So let's just pray. Dear Lord, you have incredible things for the people listening. You have a purpose for all of us that you created us for a specific reason. And Lord, Satan does not want us to arrive at the place you have for us. He is going to fight. He he is going to do everything he can to deter us from promises you have for us. And some of that deterrent is maybe to 
tempt us to go down a path that's wrong. He's been doing it since the Garden of Eden when he tempted Eve and Adam to, to eat the forbidden fruit. Lord, he's been doing it ever since then. His goal is to get us derailed from the plans you have for us. And so, Lord, I would just pray that we would recognize those wrong paths that may pop up and say, you know what, I don't have a good feeling about this, or I don't really feel like the Lord's leading me this way, that we would keep in your word, in prayer every day, so we just can be asking you for guidance, and that we wouldn't be sidetracked, we wouldn't be tempted to try to achieve for ourselves the completion of our journey, and that it's only in following you we're going to get to where we need to go. And Lord, we wouldn't try to forge our own path, that we would take lessons from Naomi here and realize that the only path to your promises is by following you. There is no shortcut around difficult assignments. We have to do the difficult things if we want to get to the good things you have for us. Thank you, Lord, that you just instruct us in your word. Help us to choose over and over the difficult things we don't want to do, except the difficult places you put us, knowing that going through those difficult places, we're going to arrive at the promises you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.